the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Lots to get to here on a Wednesday. Uh, big game breakdown. As always, we'll be going inside the matchup for Georgia, Tennessee, Washington, Oregon State, plus a few others from the Week 12 schedule. We will be getting our check-in from Day Train Danny. You know, like the markets were closed on Monday, but that's all right. We still need our analysis going into the week. Uh, what to make of that court battle between the Pac-12 and or the Pac-2 and the 10 departing Pac-12 schools, and so much more. Uh, wanted to begin that we finished our, our rankings reaction show on Tuesday night with at least a uh, taking the temperature of a, a la- the latest rumor from the coaching carousel. So, But uh, I'll let you go ahead and get first word on this here. There is just sort of rampant speculation and some reporting that the Chip Kelly era at UCLA will conclude after this season, that it is a matter of when and not if. Some reports since say, you know, expected to be fired uh, after the USC game. So, um, you know, from your analysis and the conversations that you've been having, how do you see the the UCLA opening going and, and sort of what the dominoes would be from that? Because what we had, diagnosed as maybe a slow coaching carousel if all of a sudden UCLA which it's a big 10 job right I mean all of a sudden UCLA gets added to the mix now we're starting to talk about several power conference opportunities there uh, that could set off some dominoes so before we we'll, we'll have time if it happens or when it happens later on to diagnose the Chip Kelly era but what about the uh, the reports the rumors and sort of how you see the UCLA situation well, I, I think if you're another coach out there, you, you'd probably jump at the job. But before you jump, you, you might say, wait, Chip Kelly couldn't win more than this there? Mm. Are, are, are there reasons for that? Like, is it, is it something that Chip did the wrong way? Like, you know, did he not inspire confidence from the boosters? Did he not engage 
with the fan base enough? Like, did he not you know, recruit necessarily well enough? Uh, they obviously did a great job in the transfer portal, uh, but I think you can argue that the Big Ten is a tougher league than than the Pac-12. And in some years, I, I think it is. Now, top to bottom, I'm not sure, but the top is definitely harder than what you normally get in the Pac-12. So I think you're going to have a little bit of trepidation if you're a coach, if indeed Chip Kelly is fired, uh, who's looking at taking this job. But it's still – coaches always believe in themselves, man. They're always going to say it's a Big Ten job in Los Angeles. But I, I'm, I'm going to want to know – how much NIL money we have to play with here, right? Like, what, what, what's the, what, what is the support like? Because a lot of coaches have a, a lot of respect for Chip Kelly, man. I think he's a damn good coach. So, what, why didn't it work out? I'd, I'd want to deep dive that before I sign. I think I know why it didn't work out. <clears throat> I mean, the coaches have a ton of respect for Chip Kelly because he's a very good football coach. When Chip Kelly got the UCLA job, the Opal was at 2017, like, it was UCLA and Florida, and there were a lot of Florida fans who were thinking that they could get Chip Kelly and wanted Chip Kelly. And I remember I wrote a column at the time that Chip Kelly is far more likely to take the UCLA job than the Florida job because at Florida, they're going to expect him to get a bunch of five-star recruits every year and have a top 10 recruiting class. And part of the reason Chip Kelly left Oregon for the NFL was because he wasn't really into the recruiting thing. And he's not like a dogged recruiter who's going out there trying to get all the best talent and coming in his scheme. The dude just wants to drop football plays. And that's why they were, you know, they, they landed some big recruits, but they were also very much active in the transfer portal. And I don't think they have a strong NIL operation because I don't think Chip Kelly's spending a whole lot of time trying to raise a lot of money for an NIL operation. In fact, I think he said earlier this week or last week at a press conference, he was kind of moaning about how every single recruit asks about NIL these days. And I just don't know if he's really all that into it. So I think if he does get fired, it is an interesting job in that I don't know where it stands in the new landscape of the Big Ten as it moves. It's not the easiest place to win at because, like, you don't really have – like the Rose Bowl from – I don't know the exact distance, but the Rose Bowl is not on campus. It's a long, you know, trek. It is one of those weird kind of situations where – in L.A. especially, unless you're good, fans really don't care. So, like, y- you've seen a lot of empty Rose Bowls in recent seasons, and if USC is going well at the same time, UCLA kind of fades, I-, I don't know. I think if you get the right coach in there, you can win, but there is still somewhat of a ceiling you have available to you. But I also think that the NIL operation could be stronger if you get the kind of coach in there who's willing to actually make that a priority. Um, but if you were anything about this Dante Moore situation, the NIL deal he was promised may not be there. Not, nothing I can really report. Uh, I, I know a lot of schools are uh, are interested to see if Dante Moore will hit the market this offseason. Right. That that's I had heard uh, something yeah. along those lines. They might lose Dante Moore. That's probably not helping the situation. Now, is that Chip Kelly's fault or is that their NIL program fault? Because we saw that unfold in Gainesville, where none of that really had to do with Billy Napier. It was more about the you know the collective having issues. I don't know exactly what the deal was. Tom nailed it though. I mean, the best coaches in our game are the best recruiters, and you can say all you want about Chip Kelly. He is an he is an incredible, innovative mind on the offensive side of the football. Like the things he did tempo wise, RPO, like he has changed the game that everyone was trying to copy. And when he did it at Oregon, you didn't like. Oregon was a place that was the first to the uniforms, the first to made it cool, the first Nike school. Like they had the first, and, fr- and he was running some of the first tempo stuff. So he had the first of a lot. So really, like, had this break breakout 
for Chip Kelly and good for him because he deserved it and it was great. But then as the field is kind of caught up, like that advantage isn't so significant. And I don't know if, and I don't, I wouldn't knock him for this. I don't think he's like, he's not about the hustle of working the phone, you know, on nonstop, which again, the greatest in our coaches in our game are, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, they are hustling almost more than they're coaching. And I think Chip Kelly's like, I just want to coach ball. I want to, I want to create plays. I want to design offenses that work. Uh, even though some of his offensive philosophy lately has maybe even caught up with him too, where he needs to adapt with the times as well. But I was a little bit surprised though, because it did feel like, you know, speaking of the top, like it felt like they were headed up. And there was like, this was kind of a blip, like first year quarterback. You know, I think this is normal. And it wasn't that long ago. Weren't they in the top 15? They were one loss team, seven to one. Like, I get they've had a rough patch and like we're already ready to part ways with them. Like, I would have expected this season to be, you know, seven and five. Okay. It's like understandable, not ready to part waves. Let's see what next year goes. But, you know, uh, maybe it's because of the move to the Big Ten. It's time to make a clean break. Let's start fresh. That could be it, too. Do you remember him butting heads with the school demanding the million-dollar meal table? You know, he had, like, the Mm -hmm. specific set of what he thought UCLA needed to be successful. And UCLA has also had some changeover at athletic director, some some changes within the athletic department that could play a role here. You know, if if he's demanded, you know, all these different things and then not been able to produce a, a Pac-12 champion or a team that's playing for a Pac-12 championship, that that's probably not helping his case right now. We also talk about this. Like if you know if the boosters and the fans no longer buy into the guy. That's kind of when you have to make a change. Mm-hmm. Even if the as the AD, you know, like, hey, Chip Kelly's probably a pretty good coach, right? Can we really do better given the level of support? The problem is you constantly have to sell the lie to your donors that we can do it, right? If we just get the right guy, if we just get this donation, if we just get this recruit, we can get over the hump. Even if a ton of data says you can't, right? Sometimes you just got to kind of cycle through to create some new energy and like their crowds have been pretty poor this year. Like there's mm-hmm. not a lot of support. So I don't know if Chip did the best job, you know, it ingratiated himself to the booster. So we'll see. I also think too, like they've been, they were, they've been better the last couple of years, but they got off to such a slow start under him. Like the first two or three seasons where it was, I think there was a lot of positive momentum as far as the fan base is concerned about getting Chip Kelly, because everybody there remembered what he had done at Oregon. But then to get off to like a very averageish start for three seasons, I think that died pretty quickly. Now it's been really hard, even with the success on the field and more wins, to get people to buy in. And in terms of the move to the Big Ten, if you're not going to fire him, then like uh, announce a contract extension, invest in him. Because as it stands right now, uh, if Chip Kelly is fired before December 1st, he's set to receive $8.5 million, which is a lot of money. I know in our Jimbo universe, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but that is a lot of money. Uh, if he is fired after December 1st, before December 2024, that buyout is cut to $4.27 million. So in terms of the timing of this, if they decide to make a move, before December first, they better have uh, they, they they better have everything locked up because um, that's that's a lot that's a big change in the buyout. And by the way, the amount drops to zero, so he's on a, a ticking clock right now in terms of his contract. And so if if you are going to ride with Chip Kelly, don't go lame duck in year one of the Big Ten. 
I mean, that's going to hurt him on the recruiting trail. That's going to hurt him in the transfer portal. Um, it, interesting times ahead for the Bruins. This was a question from the Cover 3 tailgate. I apologize. It was fly, conversations flying right now, as always. Please come and hang out. Please smash that like if you are. Um, UCLA or Michigan State? For a job? Yeah. Oh, UCLA. Mm. All day long. I think, I think they're about you want. Yeah. I think they're about the same. Because, I mean, like, think of it. Like, UCLA is second in its little regional footprint to USC, who it shares a conference with. Michigan State is second in its regional footprint in Michigan, who it shares a conference with. You're not really looked at as a program that is going to win the conference as much as you're just trying to have good seasons and get the bowl games. And maybe in a good year now in the expanded playoff flirt with a playoff berth. Yeah, I, I think it really depends on what you're looking for. Although you could also... I, I would give UCLA the slightest edge simply because of its location compared to like where, what you can recruit. Whereas with your Michigan State, Michigan has good players. It's not a deep recruiting state. And the areas where you are competing, like in Ohio and Chicago and all those spots, you're still surrounded by a bunch of other teams who are hitting that same area. So I, I give UCLA a slight advantage as far as recruiting footprint. You know what else you're surrounded by? Do you guys remember the pictures of Lincoln Riley's house, who also happens to coach there? Like, come on, let's be real here. Come on. That's yeah, not but, for everybody, Daniel. But if you, have, if you have that and you live there, you may not care about football. What do people yeah. in Michigan have? People in Michigan care about football a lot. Like the that commitment and the You definitely and the have better passion. support in the state of Michigan. Also, Daniel, don't you yeah. remember when I showed you those pictures of the beautiful Michigan State campus after you were slandering it a couple years ago? It's a pretty place in the fall. Also, cost of living for your analysts, for your assistants, mm -hmm. like you can uh, in Lansing build out a huge staff of qualified people because they are going to be more willing to take lower paying jobs because it's going to go farther than it will in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, for some of the analysts and assistant coach money, you're going to have to live, what, like 45 minutes away from Westwood? Right, I mean, it's Compton. Yeah, like <laughs> it's it, it could be really difficult. I would lean Michigan State, but it's fascinating if the job does become open because I do think they are occupying similar uh, profiles, albeit in very very different parts of the country. Um, anything else from uh, sort of the the coaching carousel, the moving and shaking that that you've been paying attention to? Um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to Deion Sanders saying that he's not a candidate for every one of these jobs that comes up, you know, with uh, with graphic and everything else. But uh, anything uh, jump out to get y'all's attention? We we think Arkansas is still opening, right? It's just they're they're showing Pittman the respect of not like because he's an Arkansas guy and, and the boosters do like him. I did not uh, look. Are you uh, referencing? There was a report that said that Pittman has been telling recruits and everyone else, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Like if I had to bet my money on it, I bet Arkansas is a new coach next year. I just, I, I don't think well. that they're going to, that they're going to do Pittman like that with two games left because he, he does get along with the boosters well. He is an Arkansas guy. Like it just feels like Arnett had no real connection to Mississippi State. Right. right. And AM was clearly tired of Jimbo. But, yeah, I, I'm. I would. I put it at minus two fifty. Oh, <laughs> I would lay two fifty that, that that they have a new coach. Yeah, yeah. that's that three, three SEC West. Will there be another? I mean, pay attention to that post game press conference in Atlanta. Homeboy gets too misty. <laughs> I might have to. <laughs> wow, <laughs> talk about a carousel mover. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that would. 
it, things like, things could uh what, what would you lay that Michigan opens? Would you lay two fifty? I don't know if no. they'll hit the market with it. I think Michigan could have a new head coach, but I would expect that it would be the foul mouth Sharon Moore. <laughs> I would lay I would lay two fifty that, that that they have a different coach, but I, I agree with you on the opening. Yeah. That, no, I'd go maybe one fifty. Okay. Any any uh, what about Baylor? Ooh. Why didn't you do it during the bye week? Like that team has quit. I, I don't get the sense that the vibes are good, but like, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where I feel like everybody outside feels like it's going to happen, but you don't hear a lot of rumblings from inside that it's going to happen. The closest thing that I've gotten is, um, you know, I would suggest he doesn't lose to TCU in West Virginia. If you lose to TCU in West Virginia, then that's a five-game losing streak to close a three and nine season. And I think that that would be what, they would point to and say, okay, this is not going to get turned around. If I I don't know if there's a magical one in one or like what combination is going to end up getting it done for Dave Aranda at Baylor. But it it does seem based on what I've been able to get a sense of is that it's not for certain one way or the other, but eyes are being close attention is being paid to how the team responds and performs to coach Aranda's message here in these final two games, games that like are not, I mean, TCU and West Virginia are games that Baylor should not get outclassed. They might not win the game, but if they go out there and they get outclassed by both those teams, then I think that would be the the last straw for some people. Oh, um, guys, coaches do not interview on campus. We have oh, the Zoom. Jamie Chadwell thing. Thank you. Yeah, for that, that was hilarious. I, I, I texted a couple people over there like, well, he must have learned like teleportation because he's here in the building with us. So, <laughs> you, you know, it, yeah, the, the Chadwell was not in in, in Snarkville, Mississippi, interviewing for the Mississippi. Was that a fake in, screenshot? Yeah, it was yeah, Photoshop. It was, it was Photoshop. It was, okay. it was it was a good Photoshop, but they they had and a good. Laugh they before. had it on there. Like the tweet was up on his page, and it didn't have. They never took it down. It just stayed there. Somebody yeah. grabbed it and photoshopped it. Like just as a general rule, there is no reason to go to a campus to interview, <laughs> right? No, nope. like you know what these places are like. You probably visit there in the off season to talk to talk shop with people, and you've probably been there before. Well, just going around, so there's no real reason to go. You can go to like an airport hotel, which is oftentimes where these mm-hmm. things are done, or you know, you you fly around, you get the private jet, and you maybe you meet with somebody while you're out recruiting, which happens a lot. Or we have Zoom, right? That didn't go away once COVID went away. So, guys, there, that if you like, if you read that kind of stuff, we're not doing it. Yeah, the um, the only reason that you're on campus is because you've already agreed in principle and you're just showing it around to your family to be able to like you know, let them know where they're going to be spending you know the next couple years at a minimum uh, for sure. All right, coming up on the other side, a few more headlines, including uh, what we've seen from that legal battle out west, a visit from Day Train Danny, and big game breakdown next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, we, uh, if you were watching youtube.com slash cover three, uh, UNLV at Air Force is an awesome game. We get to find out whether the planes found their missing pieces. Because I am very worried about our wagon with wings. Yeah. I mean, they're grounded. It's but like <laughs> Larry got hurt against Hawaii. Yeah. And he he seems to really matter. They're they're basically like they're grounded without him. Land, landing landing gears falling off you know like one of the three jets isn't firing but we'll see if they can uh, turn it around they will be at home unlv uh, with a big game anyway this is why you can't just go throwing the word wagon around willy-nilly i've learned my lesson i've been i think i'm done you know I'm, I'm gonna leave it to the wagon committee to tell me what exactly should do um all right let's there was uh bud can i use your your legal expertise to take the lead here as a, as a judge granted a ruling that Oregon State and Washington State, they've got full control of the Pac-12. The big thing that I have sensed is that this has to do with fiscal year 2024 payouts, which would, for the Pac-12, include your NCAA tournament on the men's and women's side, include those units. What else is, is coming out of this um, from what you can get a, a good idea of? Yeah, so Oregon State and Washington State won. Uh, it looks like they could use the money for the payouts uh, to buy out a lot of the teams in the Mountain West to reconstitute the Pac-12, which is a, a formerly Power Five conference, and it keeps that thing alive, you know, for the auto bid and whatnot as well. And that's obviously like the Pac-12 is obviously a bigger brand name than the Mountain West, so. Uh, Washington and Oregon and all those schools who are leaving the league are obviously unhappy about this, but they did kind of screw Oregon State and Washington State, so they are going to have to deal with uh, the consequences of their actions. Now, they'll appeal, and we'll see what will happen, but it looks like they may be able to buy out uh, the existing teams in the Mountain West who they want to come to the Pac-12. Is that still a power conference? I mean, did you know? In, didn't they uh, change the? Didn't they change the criteria last week? Kind of flew under the radar. They the did, but if, but if you acquire enough teams, you, I believe you have to at least have eight teams eight. now. They said, mm-hmm. well, they could certainly get to eight. I mean, you you take what Boise, Air Force, San Diego State, Colorado State, UNLV, and probably just pick two more. One? I'm probably missing one. Yeah, Wyoming. Come on. Wyoming, sure. Couldn't you just keep all that money and join the Mountain West (laughs) and not have to spend it and get to keep it? The the branding experts will tell Yeah, I know, but the branding experts will tell you that there's still some value in. For the branding experts. 
just hey, listen, listen to the words you're saying. All right. I'm, Come on. <laughs> the, <laughs> not happy about it, Tom. All right. <laughs> There's probably something too of where like they have to use, if, if they're going to be the two reps for the conference, they have to use the money uh, in, in service of the conference. And I don't know if just pocketing 400 million between yeah. the two of you and calling yourself the conference is, <laughs> is something that will hold up. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just take it and run. Be like, all right, let's go to the Mountain West. We've mm-hmm. got all this money. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Really? Would run the Mountain West. Could you imagine Oregon State and Washington State already? With a $200 million budget each? Yes. They they would smoke everyone. Hit the ground running. Hey, let the lawyers figure it out later. Do it. Sorry, Jake, but uh, Jimbo Fisher's the new Washington State head coach now. (laughs) Belichick is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, Danny, do you need need some prep? All right. Let's uh, let's let's go to the trading room floor and check in with Day Trading Danny. All right, I'm back. Uh, do you guys know what November thirteenth, two thousand twenty three, and October nineteenth, nineteen eighty seven have in common? A crash. Yes, they were both referred to as Black Monday because. After some trades were made that maybe were ill-advised, I mean, I did I did buy up some Drew Drew Aller. That did not pan out. That one that one's crashing. Um, Oklahoma State is Big Twelve champs. I was very bullish on them. Came crashing down. Those were big time losses right there. But do you guys know what happened in the two days following Black Monday? The market rebounded 57%. That's how much stocks were up after. So don't jump, jump, jump off any buildings. Stay calm, cool, collected, and we'll just redistribute, redistribute the wealth. We'll put it around. We'll spread it around. We'll make some new buys. We're going to sell off some. So here we go. By the way, on Monday, I was in New York City. I really wanted to do this. And I didn't want to. I was thinking about doing it again because I'm going back, but I think it'll be too cold. I want to do either one of two things. I want to do this like from the floor of the exchange because I was in New York City or outside from like Wall Street or the, like standing like behind Wall Street so you guys could see it. Outside we'll of the big bull. Like, yeah, exactly. Big yeah. Yeah. Danny just go. standing in front of the big bull like this. When I go back in December, it might, it might be a little chilly to be outside by the bull. We'll see if we can make it happen. All right. First up, I'm going to have a sell. You guys know I have to sell some things. I'm definitely selling Ollie Gordon's Heisman stock, 12 carries, 25 yards against one of the worst rushing defenses uh, in the Big 12 in UCF. That game's inexplicable. I am selling Oklahoma State as a Big 12 contender. Selling off that one. You know what else I'm selling? And I'm curious to get Tom's reaction on this one. I am selling Brett Bielema's handling of his quarterback situation, announcing Luke Altmaier is back as the starting quarterback I am selling the handling of that. And you know what? Because they can get it on discount right now because everybody's like, ooh, what are you going to do with John Paddock? The legend that is quickly growing after wins over Minnesota and Indiana. I mean, what are we, 507 yards passing and you're not going to let him start because you're saying, well, we can't lose your job due to injury. No, just tell him he needs another week in concussion protocol. Teams do it all the time. If you don't want to make the change, just extend it. Ooh, he doesn't look 100% yet. I am buying John Paddock. I'm selling Brett Bielema's handling of the quarterback situation. Tom Fornelli, your thoughts. Brett Bielema never said Luke Altmaier would start on Saturday. He just said he's still our starting quarterback. Brett Bielema is never going to tell you what his plans are during the week before a game. 
injury stuff, he does not let any information out. I still think John Paddock will be starting against Iowa. All right, then I'm scooping Ooh, up some of the okay. legend. I'm buying it then. Let's go. I'm adding that to the stock portfolio for sure. Reminder, also, the bounce back 57% next two days. Still holding Jaden Daniels, Heisman stock. I still think there's a chance he could do that. Still holding Bo Nix. Remember, we bought him up after the loss to Washington. By the way, the favorite right now. Still holding Arizona. Still winning a little dicey versus Colorado. Got a little bit of a rough stretch coming up uh, with Utah, Arizona State coming up. Still think they'll finish strong. Carson Beck still holding. And Oregon, plus 100 as the Pac-12 champ. Bought that a while ago. Now minus 200, I saw uh, at a sports book this morning. So still holding some pretty good value there. All right, what else am I buying? I am buying Arizona State futures, okay? I think we're starting to see on the football field, we're starting to see them have a little bit of life. Remember... When Kansas turnaround started with Lance Leipold, the year leading into the breakout season two years ago, they started to be competitive, started one possession games. We've seen that from Arizona State recently. They did have their big kind of signature win kind of uh, against UCLA. We were talking about Chip Kelly getting fired. I thought that was huge for them. The move to the Big 12, I think, is going to be massive. I think they could be one of the teams that could compete towards the top perennially for titles. And then... Most importantly, Ray Anderson stepping down. It's been a disaster as the athletic director. That was should be news to uh, good news to everybody's ears. That is a sun devil. I think it is time to buy Arizona State futures moving forward. Also, there was that stuff with the booster, and uh, I don't know if you guys read those stories at Arizona State. Yeah, no, he was he was, he was a little too friendly with uh, oh, some some people he shouldn't be friendly with. A booster was so no. So little, he's a little handsy. Oh, little handsy. Uh, not see that one. Paul so, sell that all day too. Sell so Ray Anderson in case you didn't notice. So I'm selling his stock. Like fighter handy or lover handy? Yeah. L- little little lover handy. Okay, got it. All right. So all his right, legal contribution. I mean his uh, his financial contributions might be getting reverted to legal future legal proceedings. No, it's just there were some complaints. I mean I can't remember where the story was, but there were some. Uh, there were some complaints about somebody and because he was a booster, maybe certain people who were in charge just kind of let it go without ever really doing anything. And now, and now that person's no longer there. Ooh. All right. Next move we're making in the markets. Uh, This one's hard for me and I'm actually curious to see, I'll, I'll revert to you guys as my analysts here because Louisville is in a spot. Do you buy high? Do you hold? Or do you potentially sell? I am leaning towards selling because you know what I don't like? I don't like volatile stocks. You know, I can buy and trade those, trade and uh, you know, buy and sell those frequently. But the roller coaster ride that has been their season has been pretty remarkable. I'll go back to a road win against NC State, which at the time we thought NC State was really good. That was a big win. Then they beat Notre Dame. Woohoo! Dominate Notre Dame. Thinking, man, this team's legit. 17-point loss to Pitt. Then they come back back to back. Big-time wins, dominant wins over Duke and Virginia Tech. I know that very good, but they still dominated those performances. And then almost losing on a national stage on Thursday night to Virginia, that was a little bit alarming. So very volatile. And with games ahead, on the road at Miami, and a home game against Kentucky, are we looking at 11-1 and in the ACC championship game? Or are we looking at 9-3? and in the championship game, I would lean towards nine and three. I am this close to selling my Louisville stock. Are you guys with me? 
the little number beside Louisville's name, if that's the price you're doing, yes, sell. Like where they are in the rankings and the way that they've been able to continually rise up, you're probably going to get a good value. And I, I would definitely recommend that as, as we will maybe discuss later. They are only one point favorites at Miami. Correct. Um, are you and, going to that game, Danny? Because you right now you can buy one and get two free tickets. <laughs> did you see that? I, was, I did not. Are they doing that? Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, it's not going to be exactly electric atmosphere. Uh, so extremely I checked the volatile. forecast, man. I mean, we have three straight days of rain down here, and then Saturday is going to be beautiful. Like, the beaches don't visit themselves. I mean, it's it's sad for Miami, but, like, not going to be yeah. many people. I there. would sell right now because uh, I think this is going to be the best price that you're going to get. Sold. There you go. It's open. On the market, done. Sold. Sell in Louisville. All right, next one, buy. I am buying James Madison's postseason hopes here's why remember they filed this new appeal they said it was gonna be their final appeal november 7th so just over a week ago it's been quiet guess where college name day is going this weekend that's right James madison they're going to jmu for their game against app state which will be prominently featured on espn plus that is not why i'm buying though you're gonna see the topic of discussion is going to be some of the biggest voices in college football. Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, Pat McAfee. They are going to be tearing into the NCAA, presenting their case, saying, look, this is ridiculous. This team hasn't done anything wrong. This is a stupid rule. And I think they're also going to point out something Bud's pointed out, we pointed out. We, a rematch with Troy would be insane for the Sun Belt. It'd be the best thing to put the foot forward for the conference. I think this new NCAA put forth by Charlie Baker is more susceptible to changing their mind due to public outcry and criticism from the heavyweights of college football. I am buying James Madison's postseason hopes. Now, this is kind of what it's like doing. You know when you have that tip from somebody and they're like, ooh, this stock, keep an eye on it because they're experimenting with this new drug that potentially could cure cancer. And you're like, like insider oh, yeah. trading, insider trading. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You get that little tip. And so you say, oh man, I'm going to buy it. This could blow up in your face, could get shut down the day after. Charlie Baker's like, nope, doesn't matter. We're sticking by our guns. But if they do pass it, watch out for James Madison, even in the New Year's six. I man? think Troy spoils that. Okay. But what about I, their I hope it happens. It would, be, it would be the smartest thing. I mean, it'd be the first time the NCAA did something like yeah. smart and sensible in a long time. I hope it does happen. Because if they're eligible for the postseason, then the Sun Belt has already said they will they'll represent the East. Mm -hmm. Correct. Of or you could spend all three hours of that program, which of course remember CBS Sports HQ, we've got you covered with college football pregame from eleven to twelve. Um and then App State goes and wins. <laughs> right. So that, that would be the collapse of all collapse. If I'm holding that stock, I am screwed. They are an eight-point favorite, by the way. But that would be, I guess it would be hilarious, kind of. I mean, it wouldn't happens. be hilarious. I'm just saying, like, that would just be like a twist, you know? Just like, App State's running hot. James Madison is, you know, starting to have some injury issues. We'll yeah. we'll all right. Last buy of the day. This one might be my most favorite. I am buying Michigan as America's team. You know what? You got to appreciate the hustle. I mean, you got you to appreciate the commitment to the bit. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried 
made a boatload of money. He bought his own island by selling FTX, which was completely fraudulent, ripping off people left and right. But look at the formula with what he went. Went all in. You stick to the plan. You get celebrity endorsement. Rick Flair is out there publicly calling out Feinbaum and Desmond Howard's beef, and he brings him in to speak to the teams. You got celebrity endorsement. All you're missing is a theme song. Jordan, give it to me. Watch out. So here's the assignment I have for Jordan. He's my junior analyst. He's that grunt that has to get there at 7 a.m., leaves at 7 at night, and just stares at a screen all day. I didn't have time to get this done because if you're going to commit to the bit, you have to commit to the bit. And since I'm buying Michigan as America's team, forget about hail to the victors when they come out. Running through the tunnel, and they go up and they touch the banner, go blue, Come out to Team America. America, <laughs> the whole team coming out and have Harbaugh with the flag. And you could have Ric Flair running alongside him. Go all in. If you're going to go all in as America's team, go all in. I'm buying. It's going to the moon. Let's go. Do, do you think that you could get Hulk too? <laughs> so what I wanted Jordan to do was to edit them all running out, touching the flag to that song. So if he can get a video of that done, he'll be the best producer. He'll win a he'll win an Emmy for production if he gets that done. A podcast Emmy? Do they have those? Yeah. Hey, we are uh, we are right. running for the Sports Podcast Awards, so you know we'll we'll have some information of how you can go show your support for us and vote in those here coming up shortly. I mean, we get th- there is no shortage of celebrities for uh, for America's team. Also. I didn't know that Jim Harbaugh, what did he say? Uh, I am the iron wall that viruses hit and shatter. Because he sounded a little raspy. Yes. I mean, and, and, he, he also revised his stance on chicken. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's been a huge raising, yeah, him, right? Yeah. A lot of, lot of growth, you know, from Jim Harbaugh. Can, y'all's wives see. want to, like, get chickens? Because, like, my, I, I think – I think mine sees it on Instagram or something. I'm like, there's, if you've ever been around chickens, absolutely 0% chance I'm doing this. Our wives must follow the same algorithm. Dude, it is ridiculous. We're not getting goats. We're not getting chickens. All right. No, (laughs) but fresh milk and eggs. What about what will help? What could get better than that? You got to tell her there's a local ordinance that, that, that makes it actually illegal where you live. This ain't my first barbecue, bud. Come on. We already know that. I already printed it that, out. That's what I went with. I'm like, babe, unfortunately, th- there's there's an ordinance. We, we just we can't. Y'all don't have chickens? Wow. Do you, you're out in the country now. I'm in the big, I live in the Big Ten. We all have farms. We all have our own animals. I'm staring at a buck right outside my window right now. It's just the way of the world here. I believe that part. I don't believe the first part. I do believe there's a buck right outside your window. There is. He's right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we, ain't, we ain't got chickens. Chicken, chickens are going to end up uh, turning into chicken salad on Brewer Street when they escape. <laughs> like that's, that's how that ends, I can tell you right now. All right. Coming up on the other side, every single Wednesday, we like to go inside the matchup of some of the biggest games on the weekend. Locks is loaded. We don't always get to give our you know X's and O's analysis inside you know the X factors of the game. So we will be getting into that big game breakdown next.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. Man, we did shout. Thank you, the blue chicken. We missed an opportunity to talk Florida State boosters. <laughs> chicken. <laughs> That's okay. How's, I mean, signing day is coming up soon. The chicken farm. Signing day, signing day is coming up soon. You know, we got uh, got certain coaches from the Big Ten liking tweets, blasting Keon Coleman. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of drama there. I, may, may, maybe some Buckeyes getting nervous about about number one recruit in the country, Jeremiah Smith, uh, coming to Tallahassee. Oh, that avian flu. I, 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 I think I think they're getting a little nervous about it. Um, we'll see plenty of time to get into that every single Wednesday. We like to break on down some of the biggest games of the weekend. We call it big game breakdown. We begin with the sec on CBS game of the week. That is Georgia heading to Knoxville, Neyland stadium taking on Tennessee. Um, Danny, when you're looking at this matchup, there are few paths, I think, to Tennessee being able to pull the, you know, outright upset, right? Like it's, it's going to take a lot of things to happen. So what about, what, what is the way that Tennessee is going to be able, what's the best path for Tennessee to be able to hang in this and get it to the second half and be able to make it a little bit of a game because the, the advantages of Neyland Stadium are not going to be there if you're asking Joe Milton to overcome a 17-point deficit in the second half. So how does Tennessee get to that spot where maybe the environment is a little bit of an X factor of its own? What is What has to happen on the field? Most concerning to me is what we saw last week was their inability to get off the field. You know, I mean, Mizzou held the ball 40 minutes. That was insane. I, I hadn't seen anything like that. Now, you know, Georgia's offense a little bit different. You know, Cody Schrader kind of took over that game. They just marched up and down the field. Um, because I, I think there's two ways. One, we have not seen Carson Beck look rattled. I thought for a sliver of time in the Missouri game, he looked uncomfortable. Where he was just a little bit off, missed a couple throws. But I, he has not been rattled. You've got to get James Pierce going. You've got to get some sort of pressure to throw him off his game. But he really has a good grasp of the system. Bobo's done a great job you know, scheming up plays. They're very balanced now. Now they had Milton going last week. Like it's going to, it looks like it's really hard to do that. So like, I think it's got to be explosive plays. Like that's where Joe Milton, you know, has been better. He's not going to drive the length of the field and kind of execute this offense. I don't know. I am trying to talk myself into Tennessee could have a chance in this game, 
But as Georgia continues to get healthier, they continue to improve, I'm finding it harder and harder to do. But like I, I think it starts with, you know, it starts with somehow making Carson Beck uncomfortable, forcing an interception, forcing some turnovers. And that does, that's where I do think, I mean, Kirby Smart after the Auburn game, they came back and he said it's really hard to win on the road in the SEC. That's the definition of this game. So it's going to be hard. I don't think it's going to be easy. I'm just trying to envision a scenario where it could be in the fourth quarter and it's a three-point game, and it's hard for me to imagine that. Do you remember how good Tennessee was last year? Yeah. Remember how that game against Georgia went? Yeah. Yeah. That was between the hedges. They did – They. But yeah, it was also between the lines, and that is where yeah. Tennessee cannot stack up with Georgia. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's the situation where we've talked about like how Tennessee's defense has improved this year, and it has. But at this point, it's more just because last year's defense was so bad. Because if you break it down, the deeper we've gotten into the season, Tennessee's defense in conference play has been very ordinary compared to what it was doing in non-conference, where it kind of really stacked up some numbers. Like, success rate in non-con was 69.6. It has dropped to 57.5 in conference, which isn't terrible, but still, that is a huge drop-off. Explosive play rate allowed has practically doubled from 6.9% to 14%. Uh, Points per drive went from 0.78 to 2.1, et cetera. Like, this stuff keeps going on and on everywhere at every single number you look at, and it's very same thing on the offensive side of the football. And meanwhile, Georgia is a team that just kind of keeps getting better every week, even as it's gotten deeper into conference play. Like, its offense is top 10 and mostly top 5 in every single stat I care about. Um, A fun stat, one of my favorites, it leads the nation in this, 50.1% of Georgia's possessions have reached the red zone this year. <laughs> like, that is the most in the nation. and they're, But they're not great. They're only scoring 4.7 points per, which is 25th. But the point is, Georgia is really good on offense. Like, I honestly feel like their offense is better than their defense this year. Like, the defense is still, we talked about it earlier this year, it's not the same top five absolute juggernaut unit it has been. It's mostly a top 20-ish defense in a whole lot of categories. Mm -hmm. It's top 10 in some, top five in a few. And the one thing I feel like if Tennessee has a prayer is that it has to hit big plays because that is the one thing I think Georgia's defense has been a little more susceptible to this year. Like they are giving up some explosive plays. Their defense ranks 41st nationally in explosive play rate allowed. They don't bring a ton of ta- They don't bring a ton of pressure. They don't miss a lot of tackles, but that you can scheme somebody open against them. Their secondary is very good, but they're also still human and they still have to try to cover people and they make mistakes. So Tennessee is going to have to hit big plays for touchdowns because when you do get to the red zone, you can score on this team. It's just you very rarely get to the red zone against Georgia's defense. Basically, agree with everything that has been said so far. Tennessee is not going to be able to methodically drive the ball enough times to beat Georgia. It has to reverse the trend of its inability to hit explosive passes through the air, right? I don't think that you can hit all of these explosive runs on Georgia. Uh, I don't think Tennessee's defense – ever was really expected to maintain in conference what it did the non-conference because mm-hmm. they played Virginia, which had a disastrous fall camp in terms of injuries, and they also played UTSA, which didn't have Frank Harris and Austin P. So, I mean, their numbers were all always going to go down. To me, this is sort of a defense that's, I think, appropriately rated somewhere between, like, I don't know, 30 and 45 nationally. Like, it's it's a solid defense. The defensive line is pretty damn good. The linebackers, when they they've since kind of been beaten up a little bit with injury, and Missouri ate those guys lunch. So can the linebackers get right 
in a week because Georgia's offensive line has been looking better every week. And I know it was Missouri, or I, I know it was Ole Miss, and you guys know what I think of Ole Miss. Like, I don't think they're physical. I don't think they have very much talent. And Georgia pushed them around hard. I don't think Georgia will push Tennessee around to the same extent, but this is still a real question for Tennessee's defense. How do these linebackers play? They've stopped the run for the most part this year. They Except may be able to Missouri. Make like, that was the well, thing. Yeah, right, which is the most concerning data point because it was last week mm-hmm. coming off a de facto bye because you got UConn, and Missouri smoked them. So let's insert some soft factors here, right? Tennessee's crowd. Georgia has really only gone on the road this year, what, one time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Auburn. Which is the Auburn. Close. Yeah, because Jacksonville's a neutral site against the Gators. So, you know, how does this Georgia team handle that? But like getting Mims and Bowers back, I think is a big deal. Like those are two first round type players that you just inserted into, into this offense a week after after Halloween. Yeah, that uh last this uh, at Auburn and then uh at Vanderbilt the only two true road games that Georgia has played all year. The Bulldogs are going to be finishing at Tennessee and then at Georgia Tech for the regular season finale. Do you think that Georgia, which against Ole Miss, like if you're going to look for you know things that are, are really popping out, it was it was the best rushing performance of the season. Is that the uh, are they going to be able to replicate that? Because I, I'm looking at this game also with an eye on Atlanta. I'm looking at this game also with an eye on the college football playoff and a run game that, you know, was not producing at a high clip earlier in the season is going to be better when you get someone like an Amarius Mims back in into the lineup on the offensive line. And I know they've been a little bit banged up there elsewhere. Do you think that Georgia is going to be able to either consciously or unconsciously have continued that success that they had against the Rebels in the ground game, bringing a little bit more balance to the overall offensive attack. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it plays to the fact that you know they're getting Mims back. They've been healthier on the offensive line, but I also just think the fact that their passing attack has been so lethal that the way that they've kind of expanded that, like they were kind of, we've talked about this a lot. They were very conservative and maybe a little timid in the passing game early. I think Carson Beck just wasn't really comfortable yet as the starter. And as the season has gone on, Beck has become more and more comfortable, more and more confident, and they've been much more aggressive moving the ball vertically down the field and doing that. Like defenses have to, you know, you spread a defense out like that, make them cover the whole field. You're going to have a lot bigger running lanes to run through. And I think we have seen that with Georgia. So, yeah. I don't know if they're going to have a guy running for like 300 yards against Tennessee again this week, but I do think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty well on them. Tennessee is like legitimately, legitimately more physical than Ole Miss. Like it's a different level. Like you're going to have to bring it, whereas Ole Miss felt easy. <laughs> they bet if they bring pressure, they got to make sure they get to them because that back end is dicey. Yeah. Yeah going to be very interesting and again uh you can watch that 3 30 p.m eastern time on cbs you can stream on paramount plus T- check out cbs sports hq for pregame halftime postgame analysis as well out west washington undefeated still in the top five we didn't see that shake up before five as we talked about in the rankings reaction show but this huskies team as danny mentioned earlier not the favorite to win the pac-12 and not even a favorite in this game. Washington finds itself as a short underdog going up against Oregon State. Um, but we have been 
I think we've been kind to Oregon State this year. I think we have, we're still sort of celebrating the success, acknowledging it's not a perfect team, nitpicking a little, but you know, I, I don't think we, we hold Oregon State to the same standard as some of these other teams in the Pac-12. They are at the, they're almost like at the top of Tier 2, so we're not grading them against Tier 1. Well, they're going to be graded against Tier 1 going up against Washington. Do you agree with Vegas that this is a spot where Oregon State's going to be able to hand the Huskies a loss that shakes up the Pac-12 race and the playoff race? And if so, you know how, how does it happen for, uh, for the Beavers? They're, they're going to have to control the ball and, and literally just run Washington over with this run game, you know, throw play action stuff, hit those shots. Oregon State is a different team at home. They really are. And it, I think because the Pac-12 is so spread out, maybe a, a couple teams in that league are – there's a lot of really good coaches in this league. I mean, Jonathan Smith, Lanning. I, I think Dickert is probably a pretty good coach. His roster's kind of falling apart this year. Like, is Chip Kelly a top-half coach in the Pac-12? If he's not, that really says something about the depth of this league. But Jonathan Smith is, is one of the best coaches in the country, and I think he'll have a really good plan here to keep this Washington defense off balance. If, if you look at like similar opponents here, Washington struggled with Sanford. Oregon State smoked Stanford like 62 to 7 or what or 10 or whatever it was, 17 over the weekend. Washington has sort of been floundering for about a month now. I mean, they struggled, did not score an offensive touchdown at home against a, a, a pretty bad Arizona State team. I think they had the flu, which to me is a legitimate excuse uh, and something that we should keep in mind, or at least there, there's rumors that they had it. But I, I think they can move the football. My, my concern with Oregon State, how many – Good passing games has Oregon State seen this year. Uh, they right? faced Cam Ward. But yeah, and that was back when when Washington State was a little healthier, and it was thirty eight thirty five loss. Right, right? I, and he threw for like three sixty or something on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cal Oregon State was a shootout, like fifty two forty. So that was kind of wild. Um, you know, UCLA moved it on him some. Arizona didn't move it great. That was an interesting game. So. If Washington needs to go and put up a crooked number, like if 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 the Huskies need to go throw 45 on the board, can they do it? Because the secondary has been beatable at times this year. You mentioned that Oregon State has been a different team at home. It's true. But the other thing to look at, too, which is concerning if you're Washington in this game, is like Washington's defense overall is, you know, we've talked about it. It's not good. It's much worse on the road than it has been at home, like noticeably worse when you'd kind of just compare the numbers and the performance. So now you're going on the road, and the one area Washington really struggles, stopping the run. They are very much not good at it. They are, you know, it's... So Oregon State likes to run the ball. They're probably going to lean on it with Damian Martinez and DJU in that run game, and they have a terrific offensive line. Like Talese Fuaga gets a lot of the, you know, deserved hype for that line, but the whole unit's very good. It's one of the best offensive lines in the country. That is going to be a real concern for Washington here. And the, the counter I'm expecting to see, we've kind of already seen. Like the first eight games of the year, Washington ran the ball 37% of the time. Last two weeks against Utah and USC, Washington has run the ball 57% of the time. Is that an effort to kind of help the defense? by helping keeping them off the field because Oregon State's run defense isn't great either. You can move the ball on them on the ground. So I think you're going to see the Huskies try to lean on that. So to help their defense, but also this is just speculation. 
maybe conserve Michael Penix, who might not be 100%. So you're not having him drop back as often as you were and putting him at risk of injury. So that is going to be a very interesting thing to see because they have been running the ball more, and they've been running it pretty damn effectively. So if you could do that against this Oregon State team, which ranks 113th nationally in success rate against the run and 99th in EPA per rush, you could see a, you could see a whole lot of handoffs in this game. Yeah, they've gotten Dylan Johnson going for Washington. He's been getting a lot more workload. Um, DJU's been playing a lot better. First five games, he had eight touchdowns, four interceptions. Last five games, 12 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's playing much cleaner. He's a player like in the biggest spot sometimes. He hasn't come up the best. I think it is like, can Washington stop the run game? Can they shut down Damian Martinez? The other thing, too, is Penix mentioned him being a little bit banged up. His offensive line has been phenomenal. They've only been sacked. Uh, he's only been sacked seven times all season. Meanwhile, Oregon State, fifth in the country in sacks. Like, can they create pressure? You, know, you mentioned Corvallis. I was thinking about this because I've called games out there. It reminds me sort of like Carter Finley, like NC State's home field. Like, it's not discussed on the national stage as like a place that's, you know, oh, this like a, this top five atmosphere. But man, they... They get after it. Like it's mm. it's a fun environment. It's loud. The weather, there's always like a little haze, like and it's a little drizzle. Like it's just it's and which creates ha- like that could be an issue. Now, Seattle, you're probably used to that anyway. So it's not like Washington's gonna get shocked going into that environment, but it is a tough place to play. I mean, Jonathan Smith has been unbelievable at home. So I think it's like can, you know, can they get pressure on Penix? And can Washington, whose defense has been a very much a liability? Can they get off the field? They spent a lot of money renovating that place recently, too, yeah. which is another area where that recent lawsuit could come in handy for Oregon yeah. State. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, the builder still needs to be paid. Yeah, the invoices <laughs> are sitting there. Um, I. It is. It's really fun to look at this and paint it as, you know, Michael Penix against DJ Uyunglele. But I, I'm starting to look at this and think about, Dylan Johnson against Damian Martinez, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons why they might, both teams might be motivated to try and establish that run game. Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on there. Do you think, I mean, we got locks tomorrow, but you, you don't need to spoil it, but give Oregon, you give Washington state. I mean, Washington, a good chance to lose this game, right? I mean, you, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're an underdog. Okay. You know, like, it's not a Noah Fafita team also, baseball. by the way. Yeah, it's a coin toss. It is. Yeah. Noah Fafita, by the way, tore him up too. Three touchdown passes, 275. And if and if you want the total chaos, the fact that Oregon State hosts Washington and then plays Oregon next week is the like ultimate chaos agent for I mean, what would uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oregon State, you just won the lawsuit. But how about how sweet would it be? If you hand Washington and Oregon L's on their way out of the conference. That's what I mean, Oklahoma State's trying to do. Mm-hmm. They, they do that. They already handed one. You might as well just go win the whole damn thing. Right. You say major league, right? Like, isn't Oregon State still alive for this thing? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. Double look ahead letdown, though. Just saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if No, if, I think if Oregon State wins out, they're, they're still alive for this deal. No, you're talking about for the Pac-12 title. Yeah. 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 Yes, they definitely are. I thought you were talking about for that's the, the whole damn thing. No, that's for them. No, they have two losses. They're they're, they're not yeah, going to get. They're not there. Off. But yeah. but yeah, like that winning a court case is nice. 
but the ultimate middle finger up to uh, Oregon and Washington as they say goodbye is to spoil their 2023 campaigns uh, with losses. And it's you look at the Vegas odds right now, you even think about the rivalry factor as difficult as it would be to follow up a Washington win. Um, we'll, we'll see if it happens again. That is a Saturday night game uh, night on the East Coast. But I mean, come on, 430 p.m. Eastern time in Corvallis. That's dark, right? Speaking of, oh, yeah, court cases and justice. Excellent job by the Big 12 for, for re- reversing a great potential injustice, which would have been Oklahoma State having wins over Kansas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma, and somehow with some cockamamie tiebreaker in which a comma was misplaced, a clear typographical error, uh, that they would have missed out on the Big 12 title game had they run the table uh, and had Iowa State lost. Now that's fixed. That's awesome. I, look, I understand Oklahoma fans being mad about this a little bit because you got yourself some false hope based on a typo, but the clarification is the right thing. Like, there's no way it's sports. The games have to matter, right? A little bit at least. So, I, good my job. faith in the American justice system has been restored, restored. by the Big Twelve. Yeah, who gives a blank about an Oxford comma? But yada yada yada. All right, <laughs> Vampire so, Weekend. <laughs> so, um. Uh, let's go dealer's choice here. Uh, if you, any any sort of big takeaways on a few of the other games? Texas, Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, Louisville, Miami. Uh, the cover three tailgate even asked for a little opinion on Clemson, North Carolina. And a, what what stands out about some of the other big games uh, for from the Week 12 slate? Um, I'll go with the Texas-Iowa State game because, I mean, Texas is still alive for the Big 12 in the playoff. I just – with Texas obviously losing Jonathan Brooks – how do you replace him in this game? What does the offense look like? Can you can you still rely on your run game? But also, it's the same thing. It's a broken record every week. Can you finish drives? Because Texas is still terrible in the red zone, and especially on the road, if you have to keep settling for field goals, all you do is let the other team hang around. And if you let another team hang around long enough, it could be a problem for you. And if you're Iowa State, can you avoid negative plays? They rank 98th nationally in negative plays on offense. Texas's defense ranks 20th in negative plays forced, 18th in pressure rate, 20th in havoc. That leaves you in a lot of third and long situations if you're Iowa State, and you do not want to be that in those situations against Texas because it's the like the best third down defense in the country this year. So you have to make sure you keep stay on schedule to have a shot to win this one. And also Iowa State's defense, when you look at the overall numbers, hey, it's pretty good. All right, great, cool. You know, pass defense. The best passing offense they faced was Oklahoma, and Oklahoma tore them apart. This is going to be the same kind of deal. Can they handle this Texas passing attack, this Texas offensive line, this quarterback? I'm not so sure, but it is Ames. It is Texas coming to town, and a whole lot of fun and strange things happen when Texas comes to Ames. It really does. I'm, I'm right there with you. What is the number that Texas needs to get to? Because Iowa State's been scoring some, but I'm a little little skeptical here. Like they've done, they've put up 21 on Kansas, which I don't think Kansas' defense is any good. 30 at Baylor. We've discussed Baylor at length at this program. At BYU, they put up 45. BYU's been kind of a dead team for about three weeks now, especially with Slovis out. Put up 30 on Cincinnati, which is not a terrible effort. 27 on TCU. Like if Texas gets to 24, I think they feel excellent about winning the football game because I, like Iowa State's offense has improved a little bit and it's better than I thought it was going to be and Beck is solid. But yeah, I mm, 
I'm kind of with Tom there. What if it's eight field goals and that's all you've got? Just <laughs> 24. I don't well, know. That's, well, that's Iowa it. State. They're three, three, five. They're going to try to make you drive the length of the field. Don't give up the big plays. Like red zone's going to be critical. They're going to try to slow the game down. 12th slowest rate in college football. They're going to try to slow it down, run it, uh, take your shots through there. That's where Beck's been pretty good. He's been pretty good with the football. I think they found their future at quarterback. I like him a lot. Buddy's with his dad, uh, Anthony, who I worked with at ESPN. He's been a really bright spot for them. Um, you know, can those big plays hit against Texas secondary, which has been a problem? You know, but I also their their front is incredible. So, like, is that game plan going to work? Are you going to be able to slow it down and run it? Because you got to extend drives to slow it down. So, yeah, they they need to not waste a lot of first downs trying to run the ball. I mean, I, Iowa State's the worst rushing offense in the Big Twelve. Oh, against, you're saying Iowa State? Like, don't Iowa don't State needs to throw the ball on first yeah, down? Yeah, yeah like yeah. even if it's short stuff, don't waste don't waste first down plays by trying to establish anything. Just understand, probably not going to work. Unless Texas gives you great looks, I guess, which I would probably do. One of right. the regulars at the Cover 3 tailgate, Isaac, a uh, big Iowa State fan, mentions that Iowa State has won four of the last five in Ames against mm-hmm. Texas. It's also horrors for the Longhorns. <laughs> also, the, the battle of the two best defenses in the Big 12. Tom, you're saying one is not like the other? I'm saying one has benefited from not really playing a ton of great passing offenses. And when it has played them, it's struggled. Yeah. Um, what about that Clemson-UNC game? One score game in the fourth quarter. Here's Drake May with a shot to win it. Who is playing DB for Clemson will matter a lot here. They've had a lot of injuries in the last two weeks in the back end. And, uh, I mean, if they have to play a lot of true freshmen in the secondary, I, I'm pretty confident that Drake May can score a lot of points on them. If they get their starters back, I think they'll get enough stops. Uh, and Clemson's offense is kind of rounding into form. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is a full um, there's a full narrative and storyline that's going with Clemson football right now. Where on the defensive side of the ball, but all, I mean, sort of all over the place, you're seeing true freshmen pop. Like you're seeing sometimes it's the freshman wall. Sometimes you you need to get through some of the season to get your feet under you, and, and certainly Clemson's start not matching expectations has got to you know cause a little bit of difficulty in terms of you trying to mature and develop in that spot. But man, they've had some young some young dudes that are are flying around and looking really impressive here uh, in the last couple of weeks. I, I I think Clemson might have better depth now than if they had played this same game with the same sort of injury status like you know a month and a half. Or ago or so, but would, would you say that Clemson's freshmen are the wall that viruses crash and break against? <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling Tyler from Spartanburg's gonna have a plaque at some point. Like if that's the mark of the turnaround, where like Clemson's like that was the bottom, he's gonna get something. Amarian Hampton's been awesome for UNC. We talk about Drake May so much. He's had a streak here. Saw him early in the season, then he kind of got away from him. He's got over twelve hundred yards. Rushing, he's been spectacular. And then just to echo on what Bed said, Cade Klubnick's coming off maybe his best game. Like he's starting to get a little comfortable. So can North and he should that comfort should continue against North Carolina's defense because they haven't been able to get off the field versus anybody. I mean, they it's there is no lead that is safe with that North Carolina defense. 
because against Georgia Tech and against Virginia, they had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, blew it and lost. They had a double-digit lead against Duke in the fourth quarter, blew it but escaped with a double overtime win. Like that's uh, that that side of the ball is where I think Clemson could be able to control it because it's it's classic good on good, week on week. Um, we'll, we'll see who's going to be able to tip tip the scales in that one. What about Louisville, Miami? No boys just got a good look at Miami. They played their ass off. And they, uh, as, as my buddy Joe Giglio says, can they reload the musket for, uh, for the cards? What is the number? If Louisville gets to 24, they feel awesome, right? Yes, especially with the way that Louisville's defense plays most of the time. And they had extra time to prepare. I mean, like, they got embarrassed, flat out embarrassed. This might be our Jeff Brom big game with the letdown being against Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if Mario can get this Miami team off the mat. It's very possible that he can, by the way. Like, we, we shouldn't necessarily assume that just because Miami for about a decade or maybe a little more has essentially quit when they lose the FSU game, we can't assume that'll happen again here, right? Like, we have to give Mario a chance to see how this team will, will react. And I, I thought they played a very high-risk, high-reward defensive game plan against FSU because they knew that if FSU – like, you have – they tried to hold the Knowles to like 17 or low 20s because they knew they probably couldn't get really above 20. And they tackled extremely well. I mean, I thought Norvell schemed up guys one-on-one and Miami tackled them. It was it was actually really impressive. They have to do that again, and they have to play like almost perfect on defense because now you're going back to Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, Emory Williams completed eight passes. There was an 85-yarder where the safety – I don't think, well, I have seen a play like that. The, the Vikings beat the Saints on, on a play where the, the safety just doesn't look it's what he's hitting, I guess. Yeah. I, Louisville's going to complete more than eight passes on them. And we'll just have to see, like, can they turn Louisville over? Can they go, you know, the, the whole length of the field? Can they get some short fields? I don't know. But, like, a lot of this is does Miami get up? Because Louisville's had two extra days. They played on Thursday night, right? Mm-hmm. Or Friday night. Yeah, I mean, it's like you played poorly in a game that you won on Thursday night. It was Thursday night. And then now you've got all that time to get ready for a Miami team that just poured it out in Tallahassee. Yeah. And then, Boy. look, you're, I see somebody in the Cover 3 tailgate mention, this is only the third true road game for Louisville this year. And I will say, at NC State, not a good performance. They won 13-10 to 10 at Pitt. Definitely not a good performance. They lose 38-21. So if you want to factor some of that into your analysis, you're not wrong. I just think you're dealing with a, a different opponent in terms of that where how up they're going to be for this challenge. Well, Tougher crowd. Georgia Tech in the Dome, which is neutral site, or this one? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be beautiful weather. Like it, it, I don't think many people are going to this game, for real. No. Like they, it literally is buy one, get two free for tickets. Their fans they, don't give a damn. The ACC scheduling here tells you they want Louisville to get through this game. Like this is the best time for Louisville noon game, beautiful weather. You're right. It's that time of year. People got family in town. Students are probably leaving for Thanksgiving week. Like it's going to be empty. Um, I think that when Louisville has been most impressive, we're talking about like Miami, this is like a, how bad do you want it? And I think Louisville, you're going to see a steady dose of Jawar Jordan. Like let's get physical. Like the thing that impressed you most when they beat Notre Dame was the physicality, you know, on both sides of the ball. That's where I think you'll know pretty early, like if Miami wants to be there. Because I think Louisville will come, like they got a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement. They're going to come like 
physically ready to play, and I don't know if Miami will match that physicality. And do the Miami players buy into Van Dyke? Right. Because there's no way you can tell me that Miami actually thought that Williams was a better option. He was 8 of 23, right? I think that they started Williams because of the body language from the Miami players when Van Dyke threw that last pick. You can go watch on the TV copy. They're like, dude, come on, we're done with you. Like, it, Which it's hard to blame him because right. he threw it a bunch of bad picks. I think they had to make the change. I think there's sometimes when your quarterback right. struggled as much as Van Dyke did in that three-game stretch. The only thing is, like, did he – well, he didn't get hit that much, did he? I mean, did he take any hits late? I mean, he only played a couple minutes. Um, Not really, no. Like, maybe he's healthier. And then maybe there's the aspect of him just kind of getting off the field, realizing, hey, this has been on me. Maybe he cleans it up. But but you know what all this says? Um, Miami, just a one-point favorite against the, what are we talking about, the 10th-ranked team in the country? It's almost like Miami's a really good win. If, if, you, you, sw- if you swap coaches, what's the line? Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that Miami four? Like Miami clearly has better athletes than Louisville does. Yes. Do you remember that Sports Illustrated cover from a few years ago that was just like Miami should shutter the football program? (laughs) That's been the last five minutes of this podcast. (laughs) But Miami, why do they even exist? Why don't they just quit playing football? Just (laughs) get on with your lives. Go play soccer or something. I mean, mean, it's nice weather outside. Outside, in fact, we're trying to put in context. I mean, their fans don't go. I'm just trying to give them a good excuse for the fans. I'm just saying, the fans aren't playing the damn game. Like, who cares? But but in a sport where home field matters and it impacts the game, that's why Louisville's favored. They're favored by a point in this game, right? Also, Plummer is not trustworthy. That's the other reason why Louisville's favored by a point and not by more, right? Like, it's clear that Brom doesn't feel that, that Plummer is trustworthy. He didn't really ask him to do much at all against Virginia until late. And Virginia scored on a pick six and literally on a 50-yard uh, fumble by the running back to a receiver or a receiver to a running back. But like it, they really had one kind of real drive where they scored. So, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I, got, I don't think we're stealing laying one. You know, there's a reason why it's only one. I'm just saying Miami should just go play pickleball. There's no point to them playing football anymore. <laughs> Look, so. they, the the side of this that you can feel the most certain is when Plummer's not on the field. When it's Louisville's defense going up against Miami's offense, you feel okay. But there are enough there there's enough talent on that Miami defense that you force a couple turnovers. Uh, you, you give that Miami offense a short field, it could go sideways for the Cards. I will definitely acknowledge the uh, the chances for that. The Nasir Johnson flipped hap- uh, went public. Okay. What? Uh, Kirby just flipped uh, four star defensive lineman Nasir Johnson for Billy Napier. Ooh. Oh, man. So we get the null boys get to keep going now. We're done with Miami. <laughs> Time to trash Florida's right, recruiting. Well, well, I, think, I think we knew it was probably going to happen. I just didn't know if it was going to happen during the show. Uh, <laughs> and. Tomorrow on the Cover 3 Podcast, prior to locks, Bud and Danny going in on Florida next. <laughs> all right. So, uh, by the way, thank you to all of you. There, There is a crew that comes every single time that we are live. And what's it, eight days in a row now? 
Yeah. We, we are on eight consecutive days with a show. Um, so obviously, you know, thank you to all of you that are loyal to us. We really appreciate it. Your dedication is a big reason uh, why we continue to grow. Tomorrow, everyone's favorite time of the week, 11 a.m. Eastern time on a Thursday. We will be rolling out our week 12 locks. So come and hang out live, youtube.com slash cover three. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Canelli. You can follow him at Danny Canelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much go north alabama hey (laughs) every sport has their big juicy controversy Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.